Welcome to season one of the Sober Motivation Podcast. Join me, Brad, each week as my guests and I share incredible and powerful sobriety stories. We are here to show sobriety as possible, one story at a time. Let's go. Dave took a few too many for the road over his 40-year drinking career. Dave's mother left the family home when he was 14, and he got involved with a new crew. Dave found alcohol would help him numb his emotional pain. On today's episode, we have Dave Wilson, also known as Soba Dave. We need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. Talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult, and our friends at Soberlink want to help. If you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or loved one, Soberlink can help. Soberlink is a high-tech portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to verify identity, has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used, and sends results directly to your specified contacts, so there's no questioning whether or not you took the test or whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career. Let Soberlink help. Learn more about Soberlink and request an exclusive $50 off promo code by visiting soberlink.com recover. Welcome back, everybody, to episode number six of the Sober Motivation Podcast. Today, we got my good buddy, Dave Wilson. You probably know him as Sober Dave. How are you doing today, buddy? Hello, Brad. I'm doing well, mate, and it's so good to see you, mate. And I really appreciate you coming on to share your story. So why don't we get started off at the beginning? Yes, mate. Um, I grew up. Um, in a place in England called Croydon, which is uh, south of London. And, you know, it was a typical childhood, not a lot of money about. My parents didn't really drink that much. My dad used to make homemade wine, actually. And with that, you never really knew the percentage or whatever. So on a Saturday night, him and my mum might have a few glasses, but I, I was never really affected by their drinking. Unfortunately, when I was 14, just turned my mum left and um she didn't even say goodbye she left a note on the table and i got up to go to school and i i opened this note and it and it said dave i'm leaving your dad i'll be in touch and uh i, I didn't hear for a year shortly after that my dad met someone as well and i felt really rejected actually going through my hormones and i didn't know who i was and uh there was a group of lads at the school that I had avoided previous to that because I was a pretty quiet lad and they kind of egged me into hanging out with them up the shops you know and they used to give the grown-ups a bit of loose change to go in the off license and buy four cans of lager and we'd share them and and I wasn't really a fighter Brad you know and they were they would pick a fight of anyone but I was then soon known as the drinker because I, I would throw them back uh, and what I realized, it was a coping mechanism, you know, because I was hurting, uh, I, I was insecure and that. And I felt like the gang of lads had accepted me in, so I had a place in life. And I, I started, like, drinking quite a lot. And um, in the UK, back then, you didn't need ID. And we were going into the pub, 14, 15 years old, and getting served and drinking with adults, you know. 
I used to drink this old London pub called the uh, Skinner's Arms, and we used to play pool and darts and and chat with their grown ups. And I realised then that I took to drink straight away. I loved it. I loved getting drunk. Back then, probably remember when you first drink, you get the old spinning ceiling when you get into bed and you're throwing up everywhere and that. But that didn't put me off. I was into my sport, mate, and uh, I was a good level of football. So I used to work hard, play hard attitude. But I got to my early 30s and my son was born and me and his mum didn't work out. And I, I used to drink in this local pub. Uh, and I soon developed a name called Glugs because I used to drink so fast. Like I could drink six, seven, eight pints in an hour. I... I Pretty much then left it there. I'll go home and have something to eat and go to bed. But it was when I started to buy takeouts from the off-license over the road that my drinking, it just spiraled out of control because it was their, their drinking indoors that really started to wreck me. And I wouldn't just buy wheat lager. I would buy strong cider. So I was having the six, seven pints in the pub. Uh, getting a few cans of uh, Diamond White, which was 8.2% back in the day, sitting there getting absolutely blotto on my own. And I kind of got into that zone, Brad, of, of pub, go home, get pissed, get up for work, feeling like crap, pub, go home, get pissed, get up, you know, like a cycle. I went through hundreds of relationships, never worked out because of my drinking. Uh, but then, mate, I started to uh, put on quite a lot of weight because the amount of calories that were in all the beer and everything. So uh, I started Googling, um, I'm sure a lot of people have done this as well, what is the least amount of calories in alcohol and up pop vodka? And I'd never really been into spirits ever. Even when I went out, I wouldn't have spirits. It was always pints. Um, so I, I started like having half bottles of vodka and it didn't even touch the sides. It literally, it was, I'll finish that in half an hour and think, what am I going to do now? Go back up to the shops. And it got to a point in my life that I was drinking a litre a night for a long time. And again, my relationships were all failing because I just couldn't hold one down. But ironically, I was holding down my career because I, I run my own business in the carpet game. And um, I I just kind of modified my life around my drinking. It, it all suited my drinking. So I'd finish early, say on a Friday, I would finish in mid-afternoon, go shopping, get my stash in for the whole weekend, knowing that I wouldn't leave the house as soon as I shut the door. It would be three litres of vodka, Stella's, uh, wine. I would eat as well. I wasn't one of those drinkers that would never eat. And I would crawl out of my door on a Monday morning, virtually on all fours, like dying, where I, I had completely had a, a booze fest. And then I got a gig on a TV show over in the UK, which is one of these uh, makeover shows. And I panicked, Brad, because I thought, how can I keep this up, this drinking? Because I was properly hooked into it, right? And I was really panicking. And I went for the interview at ITV and I got the job. And they said, right, you need to drive up to Coventry Monday morning. And we started the show, right? That night, we finished the show and we all went out. And they 
they were maniacs. They drank like fish, all the all the handymen, you know. So I thought, yes, I'm in here. So I never had a break, to be honest, Brad. Like I went, I don't remember my forties, and I, that sounds dramatic, but I don't. I my I've lost a decade of my life, and that every day I think about that. And and I went into my fifties, and I got married, and I I just carried on, mate. It 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 was a disaster. So during the time of the pubs, you you were going to the pub every day. Yeah, every single day. And getting drunk every day as well. Yeah. Is that a big, is that a culture thing there in the UK? Massively. Yeah. 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 And like, and weekends as well, the pubs open at midday and and people queue up at the doors for the landlord to unbolt the door. You hear it come down. And I used to go in there on a Sunday at 12. And then I used to do the whole session till half 10 that night. And there were families coming in lunchtime, going home, doing their own thing, coming back in the evening, and I'd still be in there. But obviously, 10 points later, and they'd be like, Dave, mate, are you all right? Yes. Like, have a drink. And, you know, and, and it was just ridiculous. But I will say, though, Brad, the socialising side of it completely finished um, in my late 40s because I just – I was drinking too much and I didn't want people to see how bad I was. So I stopped going out and I just started drinking indoors. Right. So I would never socialize and I become a bit of a recluse. And that is where the solitary drinking really messed with my head because um, I'd like, I, I lived in a row of six cottages uh, and the neighbors loved to party. And they used to invite me to the party a lot. And I'd say, no, I'm out Saturday. I can't go. Because I, I kind of thought, well, I won't be able to drink what I want to drink that night. So I used to sit indoors in the dark because I, I didn't want them to know I was in. So I would sit behind my sofa with my litre of vodka. It was pathetic, you know, and just neck, neck, neck until I'd pass out and crawl up the stairs. So... That's why I say alcohol is a cumulative, mate, because it just went from kind of normal drinking to to massive binging to every day blackout drunk for years and years and years. And somehow I, I still got up and run my business. You know, it was incredible I did it. Now I think of it, I don't know how I did it. A lot of people too, myself included, share that story too about – it started out as socializing everything like mm. that and then it moves into this this lonely state of where we're just doing stuff because we're just worried about the judgment we don't want people to mention you know like we see other people enjoying things maybe more responsibly than we are and then we mm. really for me i was just like wow yeah what i'm doing is not is not normal at all and you feel like a sense of shame around it too. Couldn't even look at anyone in the face. Like I, I used to leave early just so I would, I knew the routine of all the neighbors, right? So I used to leave 20 minutes early and just sit in the van down the road because I didn't want them to see me for them to say to me, Jesus, mate, you look terrible. Cause I knew I looked terrible. I felt terrible. I couldn't look in the mirror any morning and somehow wing it through the day and as we all know, we get to a certain point after lunch that we start to feel a bit better. And then we negotiate the, 
or maybe I should have one tonight and you talk yourself into it. And once you do that, you've had it. So out comes another litre of vodka. And then within half an hour, I was drunk again because I was topping up. But equally, the measures I was doing, free pouring, was probably eight vodkas in a glass, you know. Um, and it's just this constant numbing out, numbing out, numbing out. And I just, the more I was doing it, the more I was covering up, really, because I felt so ashamed of myself of where I'd gone from this good-looking, fit, athletic, 20-something-year-old bloke into something. I was nearly 130 kg, right? Uh, my blood pressure, the doctor said you could just drop down dead. My cholesterol was sky high. I was on antidepressants. I was on acid reflux tablets. It, it, it was an absolute, it was a slow suicide, mate, to be honest. Yeah, no, that's exactly... That's what it sounds like. What so was there anything that happened where this where it really progressed from like the pubs to being at home? Was there any events in your life or this was just a course it took? Well, the first thing was my mum leaving, and it was um, uh, when me and my son's mum separated. It I, I felt terrible because he was only two, and I, I played a big part in his upbringing. You know, I was his football manager and whatever, but I still felt bad. But I masked that with just boozing it up. You know, some nights I even slept in the van. Um, but it, it was just, I think, a kind of, it, it would be easy for me to say, and then this happened, that happened. But it wasn't like that. I gradually slipped into really enjoying being numb, to be honest. Like, I found this comfortability about, I felt safety in being really drunk. Because it was like no one understood me. I didn't understand me. But when I was drunk, there was a certain feeling of comfortability about it. And I can't even articulate it properly, really. But And then I felt I'd gone too far and I was just hooked in. I was an addict and, and there was no way out. And, and I didn't think I could get out of it, to be honest, Brad. Uh, and it was a succession of different things that happened. In my marriage, my wife then had cancer and went through that twice. And I just looked at myself one day and I thought, mate, you are going to be dead like pretty soon if you carry on. My son then was 25, I think. And I, I just, I'd had enough, mate, to be honest. And I got a text from a really good friend, actually. And, and he just said one morning, I was hungover, obviously, and he just put it to me. How do you feel like giving up drinking with me for three months? And I burst out laughing, mate, because I, I didn't think I could do three days, you know. But it sank in. It was like epiphany for me. It was like the right timing. And uh, towards the end of the day, I was like, I wonder what it would, how would my life look like in three months? How would I feel, like, emotionally, physically? And I, I went around and saw him. I shook his hand, and that was the last time ever had drink the night before that you know and sometimes a bit of a funny side of me wonders what my last drink was because i don't remember it I, it wasn't planned do you know what i mean yeah yeah i can relate to that too that was sort of the the thing for me is that it was just the one thing where enough was enough like, yeah, mm. i had to you know make changes i wanted to make changes i didn't know how i didn't know how i was going to you know, with, with drugs or alcohol, I didn't know how things were going to play out, but I just knew I, I like had this vision, this weird vision of 
where I would be. I, I knew people around me who carried on with it for, for a while. They still do. And I just saw this vision of like, that's not what I want to do. Mm. And it's not where I want to be. And then I just thought, I mean, you got to give it up. I, I knew at some point in my life, I would be faced with having to give this up drugs and alcohol at some point in my life. I don't know. It just clicked one day where, and I had been to, you know, treatment center, detox center, you know, meetings, celebrate recovery. I had done a lot of interventions over the years, therapy ever since I could remember when I was just small, I was going to see psychiatrists and doctors and medication and Adderall and ADHD and been ton of interventions in my life. But I think all of that stuff worked and it all kind of came together at one point too. But a lot of people ask like, well, what was it? I don't know if it was really one thing or just maybe a buildup of stuff over time. And I was ready to kind of get out of my own way. Like I was keeping myself stuck and I would wake up these days. Like you mentioned around 12 o'clock, you start to feel better. But when you first wake up in the morning, you're like, that's it. You know, and then five mm. years goes by of every morning. That's it. No more. And by, mm. by lunchtime, you have something to eat and you're getting excited for, for the next round. Right. Yeah. And, and I think there's a thing, I think Annie Grace's dad gave up just like that. And they, there's a name for it. It's spontaneous sobriety, right? Where you just give up. And it's easy to say that's what happened to me, but it wasn't because I was saying to myself for months before that, I know I've got to sort this out. I know I've got to do something about it. And that trickled in, you know, it built up and up, as you say, uh, and subliminally, I think that gave me the strength that day when I received that text, which was, could be a call out from the universe or whatever, it, whatever you believe in. Right. And that day I said, that is it. I'm never drinking again. And I haven't. And uh, I've been through some crap, mate. Trust me, that could have easily sent me down that road. But I've built up resilience and strength. I've learned so much about the drug and a coach as well. So I'm accountable to lots of people like you are. You know, you talk to so many people and accountability keeps me on a straight road. And to be fair, mate, I don't want to anyway. I couldn't think of anything worse of pouring that down my neck now, but because I, I know too much about it. That's powerful right there. We talked about that in a, first, a couple other the guests that have been on the podcast. Once you know you have this information, like a lot of people, they start out with reading books. You start learning about what's going on, how it affects your body, all the marketing involved, everything. It's a very elaborate system to get us hooked mm. on drinking and hooked on feeling like we need it in our life. And if it's not, we're missing out on something. Yeah. And we're made to feel like that as well. You know, like there's that saying in there, that's the only drug we have to justify not having. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I did a post today about it, about the advertising campaigns of how, how it puts all the onus on us, like uh, drink responsibly, uh, slogan on the bottles it's like oh so it's down to us to to sort that out when you've literally thrown it all over the world on advertising sports tv cinema buses you know it's absolutely everywhere you look supermarkets you go in there's 
I went in uh, one the other day and there's this huge square arch with gin and tonic for Christmas and you're walking in with your kids and it's hitting you straight in the face as soon as you go in there. You know, it's absolutely everywhere. And when you tell someone that you're, you're stopping, it's like, what? What are you doing? What are you doing? And it, you know, the it's the stigma around it is terrible. And that's why we need to keep banging the drum like we all do on the gram. Yeah. Yeah. On the gram. I love that. What was, what were people's reaction around you when you were like, I'm done? Um, well, my real friends were really brilliant, uh, but there was a few that didn't believe it, and I don't blame them because uh, I was a monster, like an absolute monster. Uh, and even two years on, I saw a guy, and he ended up in intensive care for about two months because of his drinking. And he said to me, you will never give up drinking. And I said, well, I'm two years now uh, sober. And he went, yeah, whatever. And I said, mate, you look terrible. Like, are you okay? Ah, you know, like in complete denial. But I always say, Brad, like you, it fills out your real friends. Like if people support you uh, and, and are with you on this, it's your real friends. If they, if you start losing touch with them and because they don't want to go out with you because they think you're boring and that, well, they're just drinking buddies, right? They've never been your real friend. And that's okay. I've met so many people since I've got sober all over the world, like yourself. You know, I've done those live funds, uh, 15 hour one that I did from Australia, Canada, America, everywhere, you know, real genuine people that have got your back. That, like you and me, we reach out outside of the Instagram thing and chat. And, you know, it, it's a, an amazing uh, community that we're in and it's real. And people are genuine. And I always say it's like a rebirth. Us and sobriety, it's like we've shed that skin like a snake and, and we're starting again. We've, for me, it was 40 years of drinking, right? And when I stopped, I almost went back to the 14-year-old boy standing there with his mum had left him and his dad had met someone else because I, I blocked out my life from that moment, right? Of something I thought was fun in the beginning, but in the end, it became a complete coping mechanism for me. And I almost had to develop emotionally again from that age of learning how to deal with sitting with emotions and handle responsibility without blunting it out and stuff. And it's been an incredible adventure, really. I've learned so much about myself as well. That's beautiful. What would you say for people just starting out on their journey who are worried about how it's going to look? Well, I, everyone's different, right? And, but I, I generally say, you know, it can start with today, like day one, right? And get through the day. We all heard the thing one day at a time, right? And that's, that's good advice. And just get through the end of the day, but planning as well. Set out a proper, like you would a weekly planner, because you can't wing this thing. You when when you've got, I call them the opening hours, right? So when people start to drink, say it's five p.m. to eight p.m. is their sort of troubled area. Remove yourself from that association. Go and do something different, right? It's like like the danger zone where the sirens are going off at half four. You've got that. 
dopamine hit of, oh, I can have a drink soon. You know, the bar opens and all of a sudden it's woo, woo, like all the alarms are going off and that. Go out, do, have a walk, go to the gym, go and have a shower and get into bed and watch a Netflix film or just take yourself out of the situation. But also be honest with your friends. Don't get caught red-handed going out for a drink and they say, have a beer, mate. No, I'm not drinking. Oh, shut up, mate. And they end a pint in your hand. Do you know what I mean? And then you, you're worried. Oh, all right, then I'll start again tomorrow. Planning is absolutely everything. Stay positive as well, because it, after all, it's everything to gain in this, this sobriety thing. It's everything to gain. Uh, if you go down the victim road, it's easy to fall off then, because like, oh, why am I the only one who can't drink? Well, trust me, you're not. And you're brave and honest enough to admit you've got a problem with it. So be proud of that. And also reach out to the community because there's so many amazing people that can support you out there, you know, that have been through what you're going through now. And don't look too far ahead because it's so easy to say, well, what about Christmas and what about New Year? And then it's my birthday and then we're going on holiday and then it's Easter. There's always something, right? So just one day at a time, plan it out properly, remove yourself from the association and and be positive. And then it all becomes so possible. I, I always love that the one day at a time too. It just keeps things in perspective and just keeps it like for today. It can get overwhelming if we're thinking about Christmas and birthdays and everything mm-hmm. else, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. We're not there yet. And we'll figure it out. And you'll be in a different place then as well because you'll be a, a few weeks or months or, you know, it's like an apprenticeship you're doing and you you have more training by then, you know, so you'll be able to deal with it. So, you know, the one day at a time. And do you know what, Brad? Since I'm sober, I do that in life now anyway because like, we all have bad days, right? And I've had a couple of bad days and I thought, right, get through the day and wake up tomorrow and it, it could be different. And quite often it is. So I use that mantra quite a lot in life anyway now, and it works. Yeah, no, it's a powerful one for sure. Powerful one for sure. What, what's been some challenges and how have you worked through them in your sobriety? Some things that's, that have come up in life. Well, unfortunately, uh, I'm going through a, um, a separation now, um, which is really sad. But that's life sometimes. Uh, and I've spent a lot of time on my own. Uh, I've had to move. I've had to relocate areas. Um, I've had to to manage things financially. And where I moved, there were seven, eight pubs within walking distance of me. And they were pretty lovely little pubs, you know, like old-fashioned pubs. But as I said before, Brad, there's nothing gained in me drinking again. Right. But it's really forced me to deal with situations that I found really uncomfortable. And it's brought up lots of things from the past. Uh, My insecurities, my capabilities in relationships. And but all my decisions have been made with clarity. Right. And if I'd have drank then, I'd have made some wrong decisions. I'd have upset a lot of other people and it would have been a car crash. And again, I've been thinking that every day, like, just be real with yourself, Dave. Like things will get better. They will improve. And stay true to yourself because 
these breakups are common things, you know, like I think lockdown as well, that's that's had a, a big impact in relationships and people's financial situations and it happens, right? But I'm dealing with it and, you know, it's another tick box for me. It's like I'm coming up to four years in a few weeks now and it proves this journey is never linear, right? Because it's you, you don't like pass go after a year and go, oh, I've cracked it now. You know, I know people after 15, 20 years have fallen off the wagon, right? So you have to be mindful all the time and you have to work at it, which I do. But it's growth for me as well because I am growing mentally. I'm, I'm coming through this and I'm feeling stronger. Uh, and I'm learning so much more about myself in, in these vulnerable situations. And the fact I'm not drinking is a huge part of that as well, you know, because it would just go completely crazy if i did it i'd lose everything now yeah i mean sobriety definitely becomes the backbone what keeps everything else together for us one of the things too that sobriety offers us is like what you just mentioned is that we're able to process these events and deal with these events as before for me anyway i would just have something happen slip off into drinking drugging and Mm. never deal with stuff you know, never deal with it for months or years, whether it be bills or relationships or, you know, just not even be willing to get uncomfortable to face these situations. So even though it is maybe more difficult in recovery, like, I don't know if it always is, but it's so freeing that we can say like, this is how things are going and also show up and be willing to work through it and not just numb and avoid it. I really love that. Yeah. To where you're you're actively yeah. working through this is amazing. And and mate, I, I've got the help of an amazing therapist as well. And I'm not ashamed to say that. You know, like I've been seeing him for seven years now, and he I have him weekly and he helps me with that process. Uh and and you know, I work hard at that. I I, you know, before I would have had therapy and then gone and got drunk uh, and forgotten what he'd said. So now all, all the work that we do together as well, that's like always look at it like a snow cone and uh, you shake it up, right? And then it settles and then you can see it for what it is. Uh, and that's how I look at therapy alongside with the long times that I sit there with my feelings in, in quiet. You know, I'm not always blocking out with loud music and dancing around. I'm sitting there quite miserable a lot of the time, but, it's growth, mate, and I know it is part of my journey on sobriety is to come through. You know, it's it's never, ever, ever straightforward, and I look at this as a gift in a way that I've I've got this in my life, so that will propel me forward with uh, whatever I'm going to do in the future. Oh, so you don't know what you're going to do in the future yet? I ain't got a clue, mate. <laughs> I've, done, I've done quite a few things already, and I, I, I'm not. I think I need to come out to Canada, mate, and see me old buddy. Yeah, come. Yeah, come to Canada, buddy, for sure, man. We can. We'll uh, we'll hang out. We'll do a live podcast, everything like that. What is what is your life like now in recovery? I know we've touched on it, but let's just kind of go back to that first day. You get the message. You decide. Did you have any withdrawal symptoms? Well, I'll always talk about this, that really I should have gone to the doctor 
because the amount I was drinking was dangerous to just stop, right? But that's me all over, right? I'm all or nothing. Uh, and I've, right, I'm never drinking again. And so I went from drinking all that stuff to nothing overnight. Um, and I, I didn't have any seizures or anything like that. And I, I had to shakes and I was sweating. And the first week was difficult. But it was a bit like having flu for me, you know. Uh, but I was so positive about it. I just got through it. It was like, get up. And I, I worked really hard as well. I was in the carpet trade then, uh, which was physically demanding. So I used to work it off, go home. Uh, I got into breaking bad at the beginning because I needed something to focus my mind on. So I, I would have a shower and that, and I'd get into bed about bloody half past five, six, and watch two episodes of Breaking Bad, and then get up, hot about, and then go back to bed. So it wasn't too bad in the beginning, but it was a few months later where the boredom set in, and it's a bit like the honeymoon period, isn't it? The pink cloud. Uh, and all the novelty rubs off, and people start to accept you're not drinking. And then I was like, oh, God. But... I kind of remembered how far I'd come already and I wrote it all down. I did some journaling and I thought, right, I've been to this event. I've done that. I've done that. I've lost a few pounds. I look better. I feel better. My anxiety has gone down. Uh, my productivity at work's bigger, blah, blah, blah. And once I put it in front of me, I thought, well, it's a no brainer. Why would I, you know, stop messing about in your head by thinking you're bored, do something instead. So I gave myself a kick up the arse a few times. You know, I've done a few things since then with my life that I would have never done if I was drinking. Yeah, I love that. Then the journaling too, seeing what things were like and to see how much more productive. I mentioned in another, another show is quitting drinking is like one of the very few things that you can start to see like amazing results right away. Because you just yeah. wake up every day, you just feel terrible. The anxiety is just through the roof. Your heart rate is just blasted. You don't feel good. You have everything else going on. You're not dealing with anything in life. You're just getting by. And then you give it up a couple days into it. You start to feel better early on too, though. I, I realized I was really bored because drinking and everything else just took up so much time. That's it, mate. You, you've got to be creative. And there's a million things you can do, but when we're drinking, it takes up all our brain space, right? And as soon as you stop, you have all this free area to think about new things, right? And, um, you know, it's – I've done so many things since I've given up drinking that I would never have done, and, and it's completely changed everything for me uh, um, in a million ways, actually. When you do them, do you still feel uncomfortable? I know you've done like a boat a boat party. You've done some events like with the sober community. Yeah, I've, I've done some events, which is something I'd never have done um, because the first event I went to changed my life because I met a load of sober people. Um, and I, I thought, God, they're normal. Because when I was drinking, I thought the usual narrative, oh, sober people are boring and blah, blah. But, and I thought, well, why not hold my own event? So I, I did one in uh, September uh, after I got sober. I rode my bike from uh, London to Paris over three days as well. And then after that, I, I randomly thought, do you know what? I might do my own podcast and that. And, and literally three weeks later, a bit like you, Brad, <laughs> three weeks later, 
I bought all the gear and I got my first guest on and I recorded it. And I met uh, my friend Danny, who's a producer. She knocked it out and it went to number four in the Apple charts in the UK. And it was like, wow, what is this? And now I've done, uh, I think, 60 episodes of my podcast. And I've interviewed people from all over the world. And a bit like this one, mate, I I, I let people tell their story because people relate to it. Uh, and that's what they like. You know, I don't say too much on the podcast. Uh, I let them speak. Uh, and I'm on season eight starting next week. And, and that's changed everything because... Like you get messages from people all over the world. Um, your podcast has changed everything for me because I, I can really identify to to one of your guest story or, or whatnot. Uh, and then of course, my book. Right, the irony of that, me writing my book, is that in the pubs when I was drunk, I had a catchphrase, and it was always, "I could write a book about this one day," and I have. Uh, and and I'm really proud of it, Brad, because it's a memoir stroke self-help stroke motivational book, you know. And uh, all the reviews now are saying uh, that it's different from all your other books, right? Because it's – I'm very honest about what I did. And also, I'm a coach as well, so I, I there's a lot of tips in there. And also, at the end, I, want, I wanted people to put the book down and go, do you know what? I'm going to give it a go. And that was my main reason for the book. And, it, and it's been out a few weeks now. There's that saying in there, you don't meet a sober person who regrets being sober ever. There's no one in the world. Yeah, once you, once you experience sort of the freedom that it offers. How did you feel writing this book, putting everything down for the world to possibly see? It was really difficult, Brad. It, it was really difficult. Um, it, it brought up a lot of feelings from my childhood, to be honest. I cried. I laughed. I was nervous. And, and when it was launched, I had the usual uh, trolls out there, whoever they were, giving it uh, a one-star review, whatnot. And, and that, my mental health that week was shocking, trust me. It was like, oh, my God, I put out a real pop. But since then, I've had loads of five-star reviews and loads of lovely emails and that. Uh, but it was cathartic as well, Brad. It, it Putting it down on paper and articulating how it was for me was like, you know what we're saying about the power of journaling? You couldn't get more powerful than writing your own story in a book, right? But mixed with that was all the knowledge that I've learned from my coaching, you know, um, how to talk to people how to learn their love language so you can work with them because every single one of us got our own individual relationship with alcohol it might look the same that we all drink this but it's off the back of a whole lifetime of our own stuff going on as well so i try and get out in the book talk a lot about gray area drinking there's a whole chapter by sarah drage on children of alcoholic which is really powerful at the end of it, when I finished it, it was like, bloody hell. And now what it's done, Brad, it's left me with, I'm not sure what's next. But that's okay, though, you know, because I, I, 
I do believe in the universe and I, I do believe that whatever is next will come along when it's ready, you know, and in a minute, maybe this is just a time for me to chill out, sit with you talking like this and put my feet up a bit. And then the door will knock one day and another opportunity will come. And that's what happens in sobriety, isn't it? It clears the decks yeah. and it, and it uh, allows you space in your life. Yeah. it. That's funny. You bring that up. But I'm glad we got you on the podcast here before you go big time, because then I'll have to deal with the PR and everybody else. So I'm glad glad we got you here now. But that is a huge thing. And I hear that over and over again. And it's definitely my experience is that sobriety offers so many opportunities. I never really envisioned for the amount of opportunities that it has offered. And I feel like it's sort of an energy thing that's out there that you're available. And when you're, when you're drinking and drugging, you're not available. You don't have the free time. You don't have the other time. You don't have the focus. You don't show up for what you're supposed to show up for all the time. You're not reliable. Like I wasn't. I wasn't reliable. I mm. was living on my brother's couch. I wasn't reliable mm. at all. I wasn't responsible. And I feel like that energy, when we put it out there, and sobriety that we're, we're ready, where we, uh, I say yes to everything. This is like maybe not the best thing, but when I was doing the other stuff, I was afraid. Like when you first got the opportunity on the TV show, I would say yes to stuff. And then I was so anxious, so nervous to for it not to go as I plan my expectations on things. Therefore, I would just start saying no to stuff of different opportunities. But in sobriety, I just let the cards fall where they're going to fall. Same with this podcast. Mm. We talked. Next week, we have a podcast, and it's been getting great feedback so far from people. It's incredible, but it's just doing stuff and figuring it out as you go. But I never did that for years in my life. No. I really get that, what you say about the energy, right? Um, Because when I was drinking, I, I was looking at the floor all the time. I was just looking at the floor, like in my own doom pity story do you know what i mean and when i stopped drinking i ripped the blinkers off and i looked up and i saw the sky i saw the sun i saw the autumn leaves you know and i and i saw so much of life that i hadn't even seen or looked at right and with that gave me a real feeling of empowerment and whatever and then things started people saying oh do you mind doing a, a piece for the telegraph in london and do you mind this do you mind? It's like, wow, there's some real power in this. And, and the power of helping other people really helped me, you know. Uh, and like your podcast, my podcast, people hearing stories helps them. Makes you feel good, right? All, all the positive feedback you get, you're thinking, well, I'm doing a good job here. And I, I, I could not just uh, help the person with the drinking. That helps the families of the person drinking and the kids and the and the knock-on effect is massive, life-changing for so many people, not just the drinker. And that's got to make you feel good, right? Yeah, no, for sure. For sure it does. And I think people really enjoy hearing stories because when I was doing stuff, and I don't know about you, but I never knew other people around me that were sober. I never knew that it was possible for so long. I never knew that it was it was even really a thing. I mean, I would go to 12-step meetings and, you know, court-ordered stuff where I would have to go and show up and get a paper signed. But 
I just didn't get connected with it. And then mm. now it's like people really are empowered by hearing stories. They hear something that they identify with. Man, the Sober Dave just shared something on my story. If it's possible for him, then maybe I could do it. Or I'm really struggling mm. and Sober Dave's going through this stuff. If he can get through it, maybe I can do it. So I think it's just really empowers people. Yeah. It, it does. And, and you know, the more honest you can be about it, the better it is because people relate. And that's why I do share it warts and all. You know, if I'm having a bad spell on my sobriety, I'll say it because it's real, right? It's not all fluffy clouds and, you know, glowing skin. Some days you can have some proper shit moments where you're, like holding onto the bloody table, like, but it's real. And that's what people relate to. That's what I find anyway. And that's being authentic throughout your journey is what people hook into. And they think, God, that, you know, that, that I can relate to that. And, and that, that helped me to move forward with it. And people, you know, if they try and they don't succeed the first time, get up again, brush yourself down, learn from it. You know, it's not a one win race. You've, you've got to look at it like, again, like an apprenticeship and think, okay, what caused me to slip up this time? I must remember that. I must remember not to do it. Uh, and then this time round, I, I might be okay. Like, I know people 10, 15 times they've tried to stop and then they stop and they say something just clicked. And that's it hasn't just clicked. It's all the work they've done before that and that it's all come together. Yeah, that's powerful too. I tried many times, but I mean, 15 would probably be a, a low number of days where I tried to figure things out. And yeah, I mean, after a while, it it, it all came together. I mean, I, I maybe, maybe wish it was sooner, but I mean, it served its purpose and like the, the whole universe thing and the energy thing and the spiritual, you know, stuff I, I, you know, kind of follow just sort of have this belief that everything happens for a reason and it happens at the right time. And it's not uh, always to my liking. I don't always enjoy yeah. that part, but I have to you know, believe that there's something out there for me to, to make sense of all the madness sometimes. So. That's powerful. What would you say has been your biggest accomplishment in sobriety? I would say my podcast, really. Um, I, I love my podcast. I'm really, really proud of it. And I turn up with no notes, nothing. I, I, I don't plan. I just say, hi, Brad. Welcome to my podcast, Mum for the Road. How are you today? and carry on like that, right? Because it's an authentic conversation, like we're meeting for coffee. Uh, and as I say, I'm on season eight now, and I get guests from all over the planet, or what, whether they're flipping, got a million followers or 10, um, it doesn't matter to me. It's about the authentic stories that they bring to the table. Um, and I, I really love my podcast. I'm obviously proud about my book. Um, that's something and it's scary to put that out there, but, and it's quite new. So, um, but yeah, uh, my podcast can carry on and on. And we've talked about your podcast and I, I will say, mate, I think you've smashed it. Um, I know this is episode six, but you're a natural at this, mate. You are. And I wanted to tell you that on this podcast myself, cause, uh, you're brilliant, mate. 
Thank you, Dave. Sober Dave. How I'm, I'm wondering as well, everything that you touch is called one for the road. Why? Mm. Well, it's a saying over here um, that it's always one for the road. Like if you're in a pub and you've had like three beers each and it's like you've had your three rounds each, it's like, oh, should we have one for the road? Uh, and it's an old saying, but also for my podcast, it's one for the road because people might be driving to work. People might be down the gym on the treadmill, you know, so it's one for the road. So that's where that come from, actually. Um, and that's kind of my brand name with everything now. So, yeah. Uh, and there is a deeper meaning to it that I can't actually... It goes back to the Middle Ages, that saying, um, one for the road. And I will find it out and send you it so you can put it in show notes or something. Okay. Yeah, I love it. It's beautiful. Dave, do you ever wonder with the way that you were living, how you're still living type thing? I know for me, I wondered that sometimes just with all the everything that went on. I mean, even with that, though, I am extremely grateful for every day. I just don't understand it sometimes. And maybe it's just something that's less, not meant to be understood. No, I don't. Um, uh, you know, probably like you. I mean, I had a message from someone the other day that I've been supporting for two years now. Chats here and there on my DMs. And it come through and I thought, oh, here he is. I, I know from him for ages. And it was his sister on his account and she said i'm i'm really sad to say that he he died uh and and he was 38 years old and i was gutted because i I went back through the conversations you know and it's like bloody hell mate like you really he did really really try and it got him in the end and this is why i get so angry around alcohol and that with with the marketing and the advertising and never show that side of things ever it's all party, party, have fun, you know, and, and we see the real shit end of it. And you know that thing, once you know, you know. And like yourself, I know a lot and hear a lot and see a lot as well. And it's devastating. It's a devastating drug. Yeah, so true. And I, yeah, I got mess. I've gotten messages before like that too. And yeah, you go back through and you just wonder about, the conversation and then things seem to be good. And then you, you hear the news and yeah, mm. it's hard. It It's hard for sure because it's, it just, well, it's the reality of it, mate. And it really is the, the reality. And you know, you, you can't fix everyone. You can't um, rescue everyone. Uh, and, and, you know, we've all got our own relationship with it and some people can't get out of it, uh, you know, and that's the sad truth of it. Yeah, it, de- it definitely is. You know, but that's why I, that was a big motivation for this podcast is I wanted to make something that people could take with them in their pocket, no matter where they were, all they needed was a headphones and a mobile phone, which probably 98% of people take with them everywhere. So they could maybe tune into something and, and hear something that would, you know, hopefully keep them on track or, or get them started. And do you know what, Brad? Like it plants a seed. Right, that's the thing, right? It could be one sentence on one podcast that plant a seed that could change everything. And that's what's so powerful about them. Um, but one thing, mate, just don't change it to one for the road, right? Because that's mine. 
Okay, I'll go. Roadie, we'll do. We'll do roadie. Then. <laughs> One for the roadie. Yeah, I. You know, I was even thinking about the title to make it maybe sober is cool, but I think I'm just gonna keep it this. I'm just gonna write. I didn't put much thought into to everything, as you are well aware of. Into everything that went on, I just wanted to put something out there, and you know, if people enjoy it, people enjoy it, and if they don't. They don't. That's okay. Well, that's all I did, Brad, mate. I, I, that's all I did. I, but I, I literally, within a week of me thinking about it, I had the Roadcaster Pro like you, the deck and the mic and whatever. And it's like, come on, I'm exactly like you. But most of us drinkers are all or nothing people, right? So, and we and we can use that to our advantage as well, right? Because I always say to people, we well, use your bloody all into your sobriety, right? Smash that. And and you know it's been fascinating with your journey of uh, this this podcast because we had the conversation about what might what deck whatever and literally within about a week it's out there. I thought that's my boy who's just <laughs> like me. <laughs> yeah, you know I try to be relentless with it the best I can too because I I understand what what we're dealing with on the other side of things too, right? But yeah, absolutely. I mean I love to create. I love to create. I. I see the power in people's stories and not only for the audience, but the people sharing their story. It creates a real level of empowerment. I'll see people share their story. They get some new followers. And then the next thing you know, they're sharing more and more. And it's just, people are connecting with it. People are relating with it. People are picking them up because even in sobriety recovery, we still struggle too. So I love to see, the community come around the person sharing their story on their first day. You know, I shared someone's story and I think they were, it was maybe one or two or 10 days sober. And I, I kind of hummed and hawed, like, is this a story I'm going to share? And I said, you know what? Everybody deserves to have their story shared. I'm not a gatekeeper to decide who gets to share their story. I shared it. And I mean, it just blew up and I did get some comments and some messages from people, you know, saying that wasn't appropriate. And, well, you know, I mean, that's okay. Like, not everybody felt that way. A few people did, and, and thousands of people were like, this is incredible. But I think that's a, a very important story to share, and I don't get the chance to very often because people don't share that for day one. But I think it's a very important story to share to say, hey, like, people are starting day one today. Like, there's going to be thousands of people in the world that today is their first day. And 100%. I'm really proud of them. No, mate, I I, 100% agree with you there. It's not all about the people that are five years sober and they're massive in the community and people are, wow, they're making a podcast. It is about the normal people that have struggled and they're on day one because there are millions of people that will hear that and go, do you know what? I relate to that story. And if they're doing it, I can do it. And that's the whole message. It's not about all the glory. And, and all the followers and whatnot, it's about the story and the person behind it. So I'm 100% with you on that one. Yeah, beautiful. Dave, this has been a blast. Sober Dave, one for the road. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so oh, it's been much a pleasure. For, for taking one for the road with us today on the Sober Motivation <laughs> Podcast. Guys, check out Dave's new book, One for the Road. Dave Wilson, and you can find his podcast, One for the Road, as well. Thank you, Brad. It's been a real, real pleasure, mate. And uh, I was looking forward to this all day, so thanks for having me on. Well, there's the end of another great, amazing episode 
Look, I want to see who made it to this part. So the first person who sends me an email to brad at bradtmcleod.com, M-C-L-E-O-D, I want to set you up with a free item from the SoberMotivationShop.com website. Also, don't forget to download Sober Buddy. Check your favorite app store to download the app completely free today and enjoy the free tracker. And if you need more step-by-step help with recovery, do your Sober Buddy challenges. So grateful for Sober Dave to come on today and give us a real good story and a snapshot picture of his life and his struggle with addiction, with alcohol, and where he's at now is incredible. So if you have two seconds, check him out on Instagram, at Sober Dave. Another episode will be dropping on Monday. Don't forget, if you're enjoying the podcast, leave a review on your favorite podcasting platform. And from me, Brad, thank you and extremely grateful for everybody who's given this podcast a chance. Until Monday. We'll talk talk soon. soon.